So today we're talking to Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Hey. And we were talking about uh, Biff. Um, so Jacob, um, how about we start with a short introduction? Yeah, sure. So, um, so like I mentioned, so I'm Jacob O'Brien. Um, I've been doing closure for about um, four, four or five years. I think I started in 2016, um, just while I was an undergrad doing side projects and things. Anyway, um, so yeah, I graduated college in 2017, worked for a year as a software engineer. Um, and then since then, I've been a startup founder full-time, and that's when I went to Clojure full-time as well. Um, anything particular would you like to mention regarding the startup or anything like this? Oh, um, yeah, sure. I'm always happy to get some free advertising in <laughs> So, So yeah, the um, startup I'm doing is called FindCo, so findco.com mm -hmm. if you want to check it out. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's focused on content discovery, and it, and it's still in you know very early stages. I'm not funded or anything, um, but I at mm -hmm. least have some users, which is nice. Anyway, so the current product and and this is all written in Closure, by the way. It's it's an essay recommender system, so it's kind of like a news a newsletter. Like you'll sign up and you get a an email once a day or once a week, however often you want, and it'll have a list of you know links to articles. However, instead mm -hmm. of those being curated by myself or, or someone, they're all um, selected by an algorithm, which I've written. And so depending on like which links you click on and things, the system will learn more about your preferences. And then it'll adjust the so, recommendations in the future. All right. So it's like recommendation for essays and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. And all of this is backed by Clojure, I assume? Yeah. It's... there. The actual algorithmic portion is a Python file with like 300 lines, but um, the rest of the app, everything is all written in Clojure. Mm -hmm. And it's all backed by uh, Biff that we're going to talk about? Yes, it is a Biff application. All right. So let's talk about Biff. Um, so what is it? Why did you create it? Uh, you know, what's the point? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's a typical web framework, basically. Um, and it, it came about after I spent um, quite a while kind of bouncing around between different other solutions. So, so like I mentioned, I started doing Clojure full-time about two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And and I, I let's see, by, so by now I'm, I'm currently on like my fourth or fifth product iteration so far. So I've basically, I've had a lot of opportunities to start new projects and experiment with different mm -hmm. things. Um, but I've always been in, in that kind of early stage, right. Of, of trying to experiment rapidly and, and do different things and move quickly at the beginning. Anyway, so for a while, you know, especially as I was getting familiar with the closure ecosystem, it, it it just took quite a lot of effort to kind of get familiar with it and and figure out you know kind of a web stack that I was um, that I enjoyed using and was familiar and, and efficient for me. And after after about a year, I ended up using Firebase, um, mm -hmm. and that was actually really nice. I for I had used parts of Firebase for a while, like the hosting and authentication, which I think were really really nice. Um, but I I had never used it for the entire app, like, like the backend as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in, in, let's see, I think it was January 
2020, probably about that time, I decided, you know, maybe just as an experiment to try to use the Firebase um, Firebase functions for the backend and, and the, the database that comes with Firebase. And it actually was a lot nicer than I kind of assumed it would be, and, and it was pretty pretty good and, and fast for me. And, and especially since since deployment and everything is all built in, that was didn't have to spend any time fiddling around with that. So I used Firebase for a few months and enjoyed it, but I still found myself kind of like running into limitations because it is, you know, a platform and and there, and you kind of have to do things the way the platform is set up, right? And so, so I found myself wanting to do things and Firebase getting in the way. So eventually, I decided, okay, I've I've finally figured out like the way that I want to set up my web apps and things. Um, but now I want more control. I want to be able to set it up however I want and just do things my own way. And so it was about, I think, May-ish of last year, I migrated everything from Firebase just to playing virtual machines on DigitalOcean. And that's kind of when Biff was born. I see. Yeah, I think the experience you described in terms of like getting into Clojure, I think the language is pretty simple, uh, but the ecosystem seems a bit like complicated because there is no like golden standard if you will for the framework so you need to learn the libraries and i think that's the difficult part yeah, yeah. um so when we talk about biff uh either we can start from the back end or from the front end uh which way would you like to go with oh um i don't know i mean how about, how about front end i guess okay so what, guess. what's happening in the front end <laughs> yeah so now Actually, it, it's probably easiest actually if I do kind of a full stack thing because that is that is kind of the um, the point of it. Maybe it's and and actually it's similar to Firebase too because because um, what a big part of what Firebase does and what also what Biff does is it tries to abstract away the backend to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So when you're on the front end, you know, on a typical application. Um, you know, if, if you need to do something on the database, maybe you'd set up like a custom REST endpoint or something. And so when you want to do some kind of write, then on the front end, you'll call that endpoint, and then the endpoint will receive the request and authenticate you and then authorize you and make sure, you know, you're allowed to do this thing and, and then it'll do the write for you, right? Um, and what Firebase does and also what Biff does is it, instead, it tries to make it feel as if you have direct access to the database on the front end. Um, so mm-hmm. you don't have to set up any endpoints in between. Um, and basically the way it does that is it sets up authorization rules. So you have you know a, a list of functions basically that define like you know what kind of data is in your database and um, who is allowed to change what, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you, on the front end, you can just construct any kind of arbitrary transaction or query to send to the database. Um, but then there, there's a generic um, endpoint that's provided by Biff, which will receive that transaction or the query, and then it mm-hmm. will validate it for you and, and either reject or accept it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, so it's like a remote procedure call, right? So there is no endpoint. It's just just shooting everything into one direction with a specific message. And then if it's accepted by the rule, then the transaction happens. If it's not, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. So that that's one of the big things. Um, 
the other half of it is kind of what happens on the other side of that life cycle. And and this is this was kind of Firebase's original killer feature was um, subscribable queries, right? Where you could on the front end submit a query, but instead of you know just a one-time query, you say I want to subscribe to this kind of slice of the database. Um, right. And, you know, like like saying a chat room is kind of the standard example, right? You want to subscribe to all the messages in some chat room. And so Firebase would let you write things like that very easily. So you could subscribe from the front end. And then whenever, you know, one of those transactions came in and, and the database changed, it would just send the new data to the clients all the time. I so, just want to say it would like broadcast to all the connected clients. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and that was... Um, one of the main impetuses for when I created Biff, because as I was using Firebase, I realized um, from a technical standpoint how that could be implemented and actually wasn't super complicated. There are some trade-offs that made it simpler to do. But anyway, I figured out how I could write that on my own. And so that was, once I figured that out, there wasn't, there weren't really any killer features from Firebase that I no longer knew how to do on my own. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, right. So, is this like based on WebSockets and stuff like this? This is the yeah, direction. Yeah. So right. it's it's all on WebSockets. Right. Um, all right. So um, when it comes to front, so there is sort of no, as you mentioned, there is no um, particular like there is no API call. We just send the RPCs. So what's what's the database behind this? Yeah. So it's Crux. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's from Juxt. Um, then we have Crux, and why did you choose Crux? Well, well, for one thing, it's it's you know uh, immutable database, kind kind of like Datomic, right? It's it, we've it's got that whole kind of setup going on where you can you know keep the history of items and have the databases of value, right, and have data log mm-hmm. queries and all that is very nice. Um, the other nice thing about Crux, though, is I found it was very practical and easy to use for the for my stage of application right so i used datomic for about a year and it was nice mm-hmm. but again i think it's just not super tailored to you know my my situation as a solo programmer with you know just working on my tiny little web apps um so like deploying it for example um you know, if, if assuming you're going with Datomic Cloud, you're kind of tied to AWS, um, mm-hmm. which, in my opinion, is kind of overkill for what I'm doing. Whereas a super nice thing about Crux is that um, it it's, has easily pluggable backends. So, like right now in production, I'm running it on Postgres, which was extremely convenient because DigitalOcean mm-hmm. has a managed Postgres database. Um, so it uses that for persistence, but then the actual Crux process can, can also run in the same process as your application. So, so to deploy a Biff app, I can just have you know the managed Postgres database from, from DigitalOcean and then just a single virtual machine with my app and Crux on it, and it's just super nice. And then also for development, mm-hmm. you've got um, the local file system-based persistence. Um, so if I want to deploy a Biff application, am I tied to DigitalOcean or? No, no, it's it's not tied to DigitalOcean. Um, I have 
things set up out of the box for DigitalOcean, so it's a little bit easier. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. maybe to back up a little bit, that's another one of the features of Biff is that it's integrated with deployment, right? So you know you've got front end things, back end things, but then I've also got some integration with Terraform. Um, so it, so if you want to use DigitalOcean, then out of the box deployment is is pretty easy. Um, you just basically you just need to put in your DigitalOcean API key. However, mm -hmm. if if you want to use some other deployment solution, you can totally do that. Um, you might just need to change some of the Terraform configuration so it'll to deploy to whatever provider you're using. Mm -hmm. And there is some kind of I don't know CLI tool also, uh, or this is like a script, or how do you normally deal with this? Yeah, so. I have some bash scripts, basically. There's, mm -hmm. um, I have it set up so in all my projects, and including Biff, I usually set it up so there's a single bash script at the root called task. And, mm -hmm. and that bash script will source a handful of other bash scripts that you store in a directory. And so Biff comes with um, a number of these task commands written in bash. Um, but you can also add your own tasks. So, so there's just a, a file that'll come in the project and any other commands you want to do that might be custom to your deployment provider, you can just stick in there. Um, mm -hmm. If you're sticking with Terraform, you might not need to edit any of those um, just for deploying because the actual Terraform config I have stored in Clojure code as EDN. Um, and this is, mm -hmm. this is actually one of the more interesting parts of Biff to me. It's kind of an experiment. Um, but basically what I'm trying to do is see if I can make um, Terraform config more reusable, right? Because say, like, like if you have some app and say you want to do something like add maybe green green blue deploys so you can deploy with zero downtime on DigitalOcean or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, kind of the standard way is you know you you Google for you know how to do this with Terraform or something, and and then follow the tutorial or whatever and and put the config in your project right. But as far as I can tell, um, there aren't necessarily like super great ways to reuse that kind of code like it'd, it'd be nice if i could just you know kind of like in in a regular closure project you know if you want to add a library dependency you just stick it in your depths.edn file and there it is right it'd be nice if i could just include some terraform config or something and then have you know green blue deploys and so that is mm -hmm. what i'm trying to see if i can do with biff um so the terraform config i store as edn in closure files which means that we can reuse all of Clojure's infrastructure for sharing code, right? So, like, mm -hmm. like especially with um, tools.deps, it's super convenient since you can have dependencies on Git repositories. So you could just, you know, include some a project from a Git repository and and have the Terraform config there. And then when you actually do the deploy then it will take the, the EDN that has a Terraform config and spit it out into JSON, and then that'll be read by Terraform. OK. Does that um, make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think there is a lot in when, you, when you create like 
a whole framework in terms of like back and front end and you just try to take care of all of this stuff. So definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, so what's the situation with routing? Uh, rate it. I think, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think it's pronounced rate it from Matosin, yeah. mm -hmm. the routing library. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the routing library for front-end or back-end? So on the back-end, are there actually any routes or there's just one endpoint? Um, so there there are a handful of endpoints that are provided by Biff. Um, so one, like the, the endpoints for handling transactions and queries. Well, let's see. No, actually, sorry, those are handled through WebSockets. So there, there's the endpoint from Sente for setting up the WebSocket channel, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are also a few more endpoints that handle authentication, which is so like if someone you know puts in their email address and and does you know create account, it'll handle that for you. Um, so it provides a few of those out of the box, but then you can also add your own custom endpoints. So like although Biff allows you to do transactions and queries over you know websockets and things you don't have to go that route i mean you can still set up your own http routes and do that however you want i see um and then on the front end i believe then there is another router or everything is just configured in one place um you know off the top of my head i actually don't remember now i i do know i I was using um, Radit on the front end also in a previous version of FindCo. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I moved that code into Biff because I often, I, I use FindCo kind of as a, a testing ground for Biff features sometimes. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll put the things in my app, which also is kind of a nice way to experiment like, well, not experiment, but it's a nice way to make sure that Biff itself is remaining flexible because any kind of feature I want to add to FindCA, I make sure I shouldn't have to edit the Biff source. I should be able to add it into FindCA first on its own, and then after a while, I can move into Biff. But I see. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned out. So authentication is sort of like built in, so mm -hmm. you don't have to really configure a lot of stuff. How does the authentication happen, or this is more like a Firebase authentication where you need to set up the stuff on the backend? Yeah. So, um, I currently Biff provides one form of authentication, which is um, by email link, mm -hmm. and so that, so I don't have passwords or, or SSO authentication out of the box. But the way it works is, so as a user, if you'll type in your email address and then hit sign in, and then it'll e send an email to you. And the email mm -hmm. contains a link that has a token um, that's been signed. So you click on the link and, and then it takes you back to the app and it checks the token and finds, okay, you do control this email address and then signs you in. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get that set up, um, I, I have, some template code. So, so the way the code is structured is that um, in the, the Biff library itself, it will set up the endpoint so that when the user clicks the button to send email, it has an endpoint that will receive that request. But then it needs you as the user to define a function. So, so this is what you would need to set up on the back end, is mm -hmm. you need to define the function that will send an email. It'll give you the data to put an email, but then you have to format it and send it. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I do though, in the template project, I have some template code. So if you set up a Biff project, you'll have an email namespace that has a function for doing that using Mailgun. And so if you want to use Mailgun, you just need to get the API key and put it in your configuration, and then it'll have authentication out of the box. After we have, let's say, authentication, so what's the rendering part on the front end? Are we talking here about single page application or are we mm -hmm. talking about just regular static resources? Yeah. So it can do both. Currently, um, the bit, so, so Biff has a script you can run to set up a new Biff project, right? And when you run that script, it'll ask you what kind of project you want. And so you can have a single page app or you know, a multi-page server-side rendered app. I see. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Biff, so on the front end, Biff is actually fairly light. Um, most of Biff's features, it's all backend code. Really, the only front end part that Biff has is pretty much just for setting up the WebSocket connection and then handling the transactions and queries for you. It really doesn't do much at all with rendering. Um, in my own projects, I use RUM. I really like RUM. And, and also in, in the template for Biff, it uses RUM. So if you, you, know, you run the script and if you choose a single page application, it'll have a front end set up for you that has you know, some RUM components already set up and, and Shadow Clo.js for compiling. Um, mm -hmm. However, there's there's not really any tight coupling to RAM at all. If you wanted to use, you know, reagent or something else, that would not be very hard to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, uh, and I guess I guess you're bringing your own whatever CSS library. This is totally unimportant, I guess, at this point, right? Yeah. It's so again um, in the template. I have Tailwind. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I use in my own projects, and I think it's great. But again, as again, that's it's just in the template, right? So if if you don't like it, you can just switch it out. And there's nothing in the actual like the Biff library that is related to CSS at all. Mm -hmm. um, what else would be important to talk about when we talk about Biff? Hmm. I guess it might be good to talk about in what situations would you want to use Biff. You know, who is Biff good for and who is it maybe not good for? Sure. So what's your, uh, what's your take on this one? Sure. Yeah. So um, in a nutshell, Biff is probably best suited for someone in my situation, right? So, so again, solo developer, but I am doing it as a startup. So, so I'm in kind of this early stage of, you know, I'm working on small projects and, and I want to move quickly and, and, and be able to experiment. But I am planning to have this be like a quote unquote serious application, right? So it, it's not just like a weekend project that I'm going to, you know, write over a few days and then forget about it. So I want it to mm -hmm. be able to grow. Um, and, and so that, that is kind of the, the point of Biff to be able to give you speed in the beginning of the project without sacrificing the simplicity later on. So like you shouldn't hit a wall, right? So mm -hmm. that that I think is kind of the best scenario. Um, I also think, you know, e even if you're not trying to do a startup with it for, for other, you know, solo developer situations, like just hobby projects or things, um, 
it is a goal for me that Biff should be a good solution for doing that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that being said, I also think there are some other great solutions out there. So, for example, you know, going back to Firebase, um, some some people don't like Firebase, but if if you have used Firebase or or maybe you've used you're not used to developing on Node.js. Um, anyway, if you're open to the idea of using Firebase, I think Firebase honestly is a great solution, and especially if you're just doing like a hobby project. Um, you know, something that you you probably have a lower chance of hitting barriers and limitations, then Firebase honestly could be a great solution. And it's nice because, you know, they've got deployment and, and serverless and everything, so maybe a little bit less maintenance than virtual machines. Um, okay. So, yeah, so there's that. Now, on the other hand, if, if, you know, you're an engineering manager and you've got a team of, you know, 30 engineers and you're thinking about, you know, what framework should you use? Obviously, please don't use Biff. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe maybe in the future after my startup is, is you know, on its way to world domination and, and Biff has had <laughs> a lot more engineering muscle behind it than I would like in that situation. Hopefully that will happen. I, and that, if that happens, I would like Biff to be able to be a good solution still for large applications. But again, mm-hmm. really the, the focus is the solo developer. Um, so, uh, are there any parts that you believe, uh, where Biff should be improved or what are you focusing on now? Oh yeah. Um, so I, there are definitely parts that I would like to improve and I, I keep the GitHub issues fairly updated. So if anyone is really interested and wants to dig in, you can look through all of those. Um, but off the top of my head, um, there are basically two things that come to mind. Um, now I'm I'm not currently working on these myself because Biff, although Biff has you know some some words and things I'd like to improve, it is currently good enough for my own projects, and so it's been nice. It, it just kind of runs along, and and I'm focusing on just my actual applications. However, that being said, the first thing I would like to change with Biff when I start working on it again, is adding green-blue deploys. Um, I currently don't have a way to do zero downtime deploys with it right now. Um, mm-hmm. So if, you know, if I want to deploy some feature, then it'll I'll have to take a minute or two of downtime. Now, at my current scale, that's not really a problem, which is why I haven't bothered with it. Um, but yeah, so I, I like to add the Terraform config and things for that. So it's just set up out of the box. And, and you know, anyone who does Biff is not going to have to learn how to set that up on their own. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing that I've, I've been experimenting with this a little bit in FindCut already, um, but I'd like to have a better solution for derived data um, so, for example, right now, FindCo uses a little bit of event sourcing for its data model. Because, um, again, again, recap, so FindCo is an SA rec- recommender system, right? And so it tracks your interactions with the items that it recommends, which are essays in this case. Um, and so the, I've decided to model that as a stream of events Basically, I, I think that's, I think that's the simplest way to do it. 
So event sourcing. So whenever you click on a link for an essay, for example, that will generate an event saying, you know, this user clicked on this essay at this time, at this location, like either in the email or on the web application, um, and any other action will generate an event. So like if you add to favorites or you say, show less articles like this or something, we'll just have a stream of events. Um, but then when I actually run the application, I need to materialize that. So, so the, the core of FindCa's algorithm is it's a standard collaborative filtering model. Um, and so the way that works is your input data is a list of um, user ID, item ID, and rating. So, so you say, you know, Alice liked or gave article A a rating of like three stars or something, right? And so if you have a bunch of those ratings, you stick them in this collaborative filtering model, and then you can get recommendations out of it. Um, so what a core part of what I do with FindCut is then I, I take all those events, and then I have to decide, okay, what is the user's rating for this item? And it's not quite as simple as, you know, just take the most recent event, because I have... Um, some events have higher precedence. So like if you click a link in an article, that's kind of an implicit rating because you're saying at least like, you know, I, this article is interesting enough for me to click on it. doesn't necessarily mean I like it, but say you click on it and then after you say add to favorites, right? Um, so that's a high rating. However, if after you do that, you click on the article again, that shouldn't, the click should not take precedence over the explicit add to favorites. So, so there's a small amount of, nuance there, right? Anyway, mm -hmm. um, kind of a tangent, but the point is that um, I need some way to generate these derived data structures, right? Um, and so in the first version, what I did is, you know, just do it on the fly. So when I run the algorithm, I just query the entire history of events and then, you know, munge through the data and figure out what the ratings are. And, and that works okay for a little while, but it's a little bit slow, especially if you need to, like if the user is on the website and they want to load a page that has their ratings, you know, you don't want to have to recompute all that stuff on every request. Um, mm -hmm. So I I was did that for a while. And then for, at some, let's see, I think it was in December, maybe just a couple months ago, I added an integration with, um, materialize, which is an extremely cool, awesome project. Um, and, and it lets you create materialized views using SQL. Um, mm -hmm. So you can take these list of events and, and kind of ingest them into some SQL tables and then write SQL queries, which will define other tables. But then as whenever you add new events, then materialize will handle, um, updating the other, your derived materialized view tables for you. Um, mm -hmm. So for a materialize, while... Materialize? Oh, yeah. Materialize is a closure library or? No, so the website is, is materialize.io um, and it's, it. so they're doing it as a startup um, and so they, they have funding and it's, it's not closure though or anything. It's a little bit related because um, I think it's so Frank McSherry is one of the the main people working on that project 
And there, there is another project that is Clojure. I, I think it's Cloge 3DF, um, which is kind of doing a similar thing, but with data log and, and so that's in Clojure. And, and I, I think the person who's working on Cloge 3DF has worked with Frank McCherry in the past. Um, so, so, so there's a little connection, but it materializes itself. It's not really a closure thing. It's all written in Rust. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so, so cool project. I was using that for a little while. Um, the downside is, again, for it does take a certain amount of memory, and depending on you know your scale and your use case, that can be fine. Um, but for my <laughs> tiny little scale, I the memory overhead was just too high for for me um and so it's just not really practical you know m- maybe at scale when i find kids you know a big huge company it could be better but at the moment it was a little bit unwieldy so what i currently have is i have a somewhat janky setup where i actually have a second crux database and the second one is mm-hmm. just a um it uses local file system persistence. So instead of like Postgres, for example. So whenever I run a transaction to the main database that persists to Postgres, it will trigger a listener, which will, you know, a list for, uh, for the transaction log. It'll take that transaction and then find out, okay, are there any derived data views that we need to update? And then it'll you know, update those and commit the changes to the secondary crux database. Um, so for now, that that works, but it's it. There are some downsides to that approach too. But anyway, this has been an extremely long answer to your question. But though though that is the second area that I think would be very interesting if I could have a better solution for both. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually when you work with WebSockets, these are also pretty demanding. Um, mm-hmm. How was the scalability of Biff? Um, to tell you the truth, I haven't really spent much time on thinking thinking about it at all. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that other websites use WebSockets, and so I'm assuming it's not going to be a brick wall to hit in, that I'll hit into. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I don't have any super detailed answer to give you. Basically, like my main concern with Biff is, is to make sure, you know, right now it's good enough and to make sure I don't have any brick walls I'm going to hit into. So even if I don't have all the scalability issues fleshed out, I want the general approach to at least be reasonable, right? So, you mm-hmm. know, later when I have scale, I can figure it out. Um, so a big a big example of that is like the the query subscriptions. Um, there's an there's an extremely easy way that you could add query subscriptions to an app, and that would be, you know, just store the query, and whenever anything in the database changes, just rerun the entire query, and that mm-hmm. would totally work. And it would give you, you could have very expressive queries like like da- full data log or whatever. Um, downside is then you're gonna hit a brick wall. Right, and unless you know, Clojure 3DF figures it out, and we can start using that. <laughs> but if you do the naive approach, once you get a certain amount of scale, there's just not going to be a way forward, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so that's that is with Biff though. That was kind of the light bulb moment. Is I realized, you know, if you restrict the query power for your subscriptions, 
it makes it so you can update them much more efficiently. So like when you are listening to the transaction log and there's a new entity change somewhere in the database, you can look at that entity and then find out, is this going to change the results of one of my query subscriptions? And you can get an answer to that yes or no without having to recreate the database at all. Mm. Um, and so, so again, there will certainly be scaling issues that I will run into as I try to, you know, scale up if, but at least, you know, from, from kind of a, a theoretical computational complexity standpoint, it should be okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so if I'm interested in using Biff, what are the best places to, I don't know, reach out any kind of docs or anything like this? Yeah. So I have, um, the documentation is all on a single page at findca.com slash Biff. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a GitHub repo to you. So you could also just, I'm sure if you do a Google search for closure Biff, the, the GitHub repo and, and the docs will show up. Um, the GitHub repo itself mainly just has a link to the docs. There is also, though, on Clojurian's Slack, there's a Biff channel, um, mm -hmm. which I always monitor. So that is a great place to reach out as well. And mm -hmm. I also am a big fan of email, and I've got um, my email address listed on my website, jacobobryant.com. Mm -hmm. Cool. I will make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes. So everybody can find them easily. Uh, is there anything else uh, when it comes to Biff that we should talk about? Nothing's coming to mind. I think we covered most of the, the main parts, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, well, in that case, uh, thank you so much again for creating Biff, uh, spreading the word about it, coming here on the podcast, talking about it. And yeah, I hope some people find it useful. Uh, and then, yeah. Yeah, just, thank you for having scroll. me. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting directly by buying some video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thanks. <laughs>